Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. everybody and welcome to Dragged Out. It's Joseph Shepard, your host of this beautiful podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening every week and going on the journey with me as I talk to some of the queens who may have, you know, just so happened to go home a little bit too early on a RuPaul's Drag Race franchise. Now, today's guest was introduced to many of us on season three of RuPaul's Drag Race, where she showed us Madonna's favorite holiday is not Christmas. She shows off her thoughty body on her Instagram, and she's here to spill the tea. Her name is Venus Delight. You look fucking phenomenal, by the way. You look great. How's how's life been? Life's good. You know, I threw away the bandana from season three because, you know, that was just, you know, a fashion statement for the moment i cut my hair um it grew out my eyebrows and that was a look back then and i mean life has taken me in so many directions but now i'm actually in sunny tampa florida so i like to call it the armpit of florida because you know it's on that little like part of the you know part where there's a panhandle and there's like the rest of the arm so i'm like right there just yeah on the gulf of mexico so uh, i'm here in tampa florida ah so you're in Florida now, but you were born and raised in where? California? In California, Los Angeles. What were you like as a child? I was gay as fuck. <laughs> really? I was. I'll tell you how gay as fuck I was. So um, for my fifth birthday, I had this really cool, magical birthday party. And my adopted father's dad, he actually, as a joke, wrapped up a Barbie, pink Barbie convertible and gave it to me as a gift. And I didn't know it was a joke. I was too young. And so, but I opened it and I flipped out and just was like, so overjoyed and just like, so happy. I was, li- I literally grabbed the box and I was like running around screaming to everybody. Like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And I never saw it after that day, unfortunately. Stop it. They took it away from you. They took it away. Yeah. It was a, it was supposed to be meant to the joke, but the joke, uh, the joke fucked him over. So uh, yeah. also, you know, back then, you know, I was, you know, I tended to hang more around with the girls than mm-hmm. than the boys. And, you know, one Christmas, all I ever wanted was mom madness. <laughs> I was eight. You know I what know they exactly gave me? what you're talking about. Yes. You know what they gave me? What did they give you? Operation. No. I was a shopaholic. That wasn't me. That's not me. And I've been mad about it since then. Have you have you ever been gifted that since then? How funny you mentioned that because uh, there was a drag performer a couple of years ago who actually gave me a, as a present all madness <laughs> um, because I always talked about that story. But, you know, the thing is, like, there are so, you know, as a child, you remember so many, so many things about, like, especially with needs and wants. And I, you know, I think all of us have that one Christmas. We really wanted that one gift 
you know, like the movie, the Christmas story where he wanted a fucking rifle and he couldn't get it. And he just like the whole movie is based upon this little kid getting this, you know, air, air rifle. And everybody's telling him, no, I think as a child, there was, we always looked up to, you know, Halloween and Christmas. That was like our thing. And then at some point I had no clue that Halloween was going to become my, you know, adulthood and my (laughs) livelihood. So. Is it isn't that so funny? Like my my boyfriend is so addicted to Halloween. He's like, that is my gay Christmas. And I'm like, Christmas is my gay Christmas. It always has been and it always will be. And it's and it's so crazy that, you know, I, you know, my favorite holiday got tied in with one of my, you know, moments in life that I try to forget. And I'm like, you ruined that holiday for me. I don't think about this. Think oh, about was it, it a lover? No, because I, the episode I was kicked off of was a Christmas episode. So yes, yes, <laughs> so you are in California. You started exhibiting your your signs of your gayness in your early years with the lovely pink. Also, this is my question that I have: Who in the world invented the colors pink and blue for boys and girls, and why is that a thing? I don't get it. I think about this all the time. I don't get it either. I mean, I, when I was young, when I thought pink or blue, I thought of the Care Bears. You know, ah, there were pink yes. sunshine bear, and there was Sleepy Bear. And I always like, I always related more to Sunshine Bear because I don't know, I wasn't the type to like sleep in on Saturday mornings. I'm like, oh my god, let's go play, let's have fun, let's go ride our bikes. <laughs> you know, I just, I always like connected more with pink because it reminded me of Sunshine Bear. I, I don't know, and you know, I. You know, I, you know, I, like I said, I was a very gay child. And then all of a sudden Madonna comes around and Madonna comes around when I'm 15, because I was looking through my mom's CD case and I come across Madonna's first album on CD. And I was actually trying to look for a Madonna song from the eighties that I remembered, but I couldn't find. So I played the album and went through every song, uh, trying to find it. And we didn't have YouTube or Google. We could just be like, hey, you know, blah, blah, blah song that sounds like, blah, 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 you know, and Google says, that song has dressed you up from. <laughs> no, we actually had to like, we had to go to the fucking music plus the warehouse and like put the CD on and listen to it. But it didn't have the song I was looking for, but it just like changed my whole life. And I just, you know, Madonna basically helped me come out. And I was 14, 15 years old. And, uh, this is also when um, it was a late 90s, like techno rave mm-hmm. underground scene. Like there was just there was so many underground fads that were going on. Being bi was in. So <laughs> I knew as a child there was something special about me. You know, when I would go into 7-Elevens and pick up the Playgirl on the Playboy magazine when nobody was looking and be yes. like, whoa, damn, that, that, <laughs> is that what it looks like when you all grown up? I like that. <laughs> it's so, I. I did the same thing. You had to like find those. It was always in the magazine aisle or always in the underwear aisle. It was one or the other, just looking at the packages. Like that was like, you had to get it. Oh my God. But how about the Barnes and Noble section? Yes. Yes, Because it had all the different countries of magazines. Yes. And so like you went to go and look at the playgirls or you were, you pretended you were a nerd. You were going to study and you would go to the Barnes and Noble and you would go to like the erotic section where they had a gay Kama Sutra, like, yes. you know, gay, gay history and all this stuff. And yeah, that was that was me growing up. So I would say, you know, gay as fuck, definitely very pink, very highly sexual, fashionable. 
And um, and I had a thing for Mom Madness. So that was childhood growing up. And Madonna. Well, when did the Madonna um, turn from you trying to find this one song to her helping you eventually like come out in that process and then using that as, you know, drag? Like, how did that end up going from one to the other? Well, as a child, young adult, you know, I was called ugly. No, no lies. No, no lies. You know, I was I was bullied. I was called ugly by the cheerleading, the young cheerleading squad. They used to say, like, my eyes look like dirt. Yeah. And I have like beautiful hazel eyes. Yeah, I was really crazy. And uh, I was and not only was, you know, I was being called the ugly one. I was being called the different one or the flamer or the, Mm -hmm. the, the queer one. So those are just two labels at that age. You don't want to like be labeled as and And so when I was, uh, when I was 14 and starting to develop, I actually uh, went through this like cholo phase (laughs) to like try to like push up a little bit and try to like, you know, man up. I don't know. It's kind of like, kind of taking like a similar, similar direction now where I'm like pushing up and everything. Um, because I'm, I'm being bullied now here and there. So, but you know, then I try to butch it up and then I found Madonna and you know, Madonna just gave me this impression that, you know, you can be yourself, you could be different, you could be queer, you could be sexual and, you know, you don't have to be ashamed about it. You can actually change the world and, and also be yourself and be an artist. So that's really what uh, excited me about her. And it's not necessarily I wanted to look like her. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be her as an artist, just very um, outspoken and about gay rights and um, and about awareness and about um, being yourself and not being ashamed about it. And uh, if you're not outspoken, you mean shit stays the same. Had um, World of Wonder and RuPaul not taken a risk um, 10,000 years ago, you know, we wouldn't be here, me and you talking about mm-hmm. drag, what it's, you know, how it's changed the world or, you know, even like be talking about my career in life. Yeah. And when was the first time that you performed in drag? Not like Halloween or a showcase or something, but like when was the first time that you actually like were on a stage? Do you remember that? I do. Grab your popcorn. Okay. I this was this was in two, this was August fifth, two thousand two. By the way, my nineteenth anniversary is right around the corner because this is July twenty something and. But it was it was August fifth, two thousand two, and it was a and I had performed as Marilyn Monroe because it was uh, the fortieth anniversary of her death. Um, here's some funny. Here's some a funny fact. Guess who was doing Spotlight that night? And you're referring to Spotlight like the night like club esque thing that happened every once in a while and then went away, right? Yes. Was it Madonna? No, it was RuPaul. Okay. RuPaul was there. She was doing spotlight because here and there she liked, like she she's talked about. She liked to go and sit in the DJ booth and offer to help spotlight, put the spotlight on the girls. So she was there. Um, Delta Work was working with me that night in the cast. Also Raja. So, you know, it was kind of a crazy omen about things to come. And this is my first drag performance and, you know, the most... You know, the, the last most famous, you know, drag queen was doing my spotlight. And, you know, from what I had heard, what I had heard, like she gagged over my Maryland. She loved my look. And 
And yeah, that's that's a huge part of my history. Was yeah, RuPaul did my spotlight, and my first show was with Delta and Raja, and I performed as Marilyn Monroe on her 40th anniversary of her death. That is insane that your first drag performance was in the presence of RuPaul before any of the other stuff came down the pipeline. Yep, yep. Wow. So then when did you decide on a name? When did you decide on all of that? Was that after that? Did you get like a bug to keep doing this? Or like, what was it? Um, well, actually, my my original drag name, I don't think I've said this ever in public, uh, uh, was actually Harlow. Harlow. It, had to, it was referring to Jean Harlow, which was like the original Bond Blomshell cinema um, who died very tragically when she was very young. And I just, I loved her movies. I loved all the Hollywood. I watched a lot of Marlena Dietrich, Jean Harlow, Greta Garbo, um, Rita Hayworth. I was very into uh, very old Hollywood movies because, I mean, they look like drag queens. And I mean, mm-hmm. they were just painted for the gods. And, you know, they were just, they looked just so stunning and their glamour and their, and their um, costuming. And like this, I mean, this was also 2002, 2003, you know, there really wasn't a lot of like glamour with females in cinema back then. This was the apple bottom jeans, like, you know, <laughs> you know, skin and bones, you know, look straight hair, you know, or that little wispy cut that everybody had. Mm-hmm. You know, really, it was kind of and jeans. I mean, it wasn't like I was I, I think, you know, like they say in Wang Fu, when a gay man has too much fashion sense for one gender, he is a drag queen. So. <laughs> That's, you know, that's always been my, you know, my, my mindset and my liking. So I always, I preferred, you know, watching old Hollywood at that time and still do. I still do too. It's like, but the one thing too, like you put on an old Hollywood movie and then I start getting sad about like all the newer ones. I'm like, I want the stories back. Like I want a good script. I'm like, come on. (laughs) Oh, and let's not forget Joan. Oh gosh. Going back to my childhood. Oh my God. This. This is definitely a story. So one moment in my childhood that changed my life was that it was TNT or TBS. On the weekends, they always had the late night horror movie marathons. And but one day it was either TNT or TBS. They had a double feature and it was whatever happened to Baby Jane was the first. And Mommy Dearest was the second feature. And it was five hours of just, you know, that changed my life. And I just remember watching watching it with my brother, relating to that because, you know, as siblings, we wanted to fucking kill each other. You wanted to push her down the stairs. <laughs> yes. And the thing was that we were both per- performers. So we kind of, you know, we were doing these little talent shows that kind of like we were both trying to one-up each other. So there was definitely that connection with that movie. And then, you know, Mommy Dearest, you know, being like, you know, fearful of your parents, but like looking up to them as these like grandiose, you know, because my mom was always glamorous. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, as a child, you're always so scared of like, you know, what what if your parents just like went nutty one day and or, you know, start, you know, woke up and, you know, started wanting to kick your ass with they <laughs> uh, or punish you with that wire hanger. You know, <laughs> it was just it, and then all of a sudden it's, it has nothing to do with most of those things. It's because, oh, honey, you gay. <laughs> you're, you're just faking yep. right now, <laughs> you know. You're the you're the gay one. If you like Baby Jane and Mommy Dearest, and they're that age, yeah, you know. That's. I will say this. I've never thought about that. When I was like in the eighth 
grade was when we were shown whatever happened to baby Jane in a theater class. And I was gooped, gagged, stunned. I made sure I went to Blockbuster that weekend and re-rented it. And that was like such a big thing. But I was like, my dad thought I was the craziest person in the world, like watching whatever happened to baby Jane multiple times and singing, I've written a letter to daddy. But I was like, well, it's what you get. You have a gay son, sir. Right. Yes. (laughs) So you are performing. You are um, starting this career. I would love to know before Drag Race came around and this drag culture phenomenon turned into something else. What was it like performing locally? Like what was a typical drag show like? Because now it's a totally different world, but when you were starting out and before Drag Race, what was that like? I would say we were, we definitely were not valued as much as we are now. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by value is that back then, usually, and it still is today, usually the entertainment was the Go-Go Boys and the Queens. Now, back then, you really didn't want to be booked the same night as the Go-Go's because, of course, you know, they were going to take center stage and mm-hmm. definitely be put in better dressing rooms and make more money and have, they were more valued. So back then, you know, back then we weren't as valued like that. You know, we were changing in, you know, dirty bathrooms and alleyways. I can tell you, you know, I I remember when me and Delta work used to be changing in back parking lots for shows. Yeah. And nowadays it's just, you know, we're changing in these amazing dressing rooms. And, you know, we are, you know, we we have, you know, some girls are that bougie enough to, you know, order red, red, only red M&Ms, you know, <laughs> on their writers and crystal champagne. And but back then, you know, I mean, we, I mean, it was a pain in the ass to even ask for a fucking drink ticket back then. Mm-hmm. It there, we were definitely not valued as much as we are now. There was three big um, drag of drag shows and events that took place back then. One of them was, of course, Lacoste and Lacage is in Vegas, and you and if you were a queen back then, you wanted to be in person an impersonator because if you did, if you weren't an impersonator, you got to work in Vegas, you got to work every single day, and you got to make money, you got to have a full time career. So that's what a lot of people were trying to aspire to be, including me. And then the second show was the Dream Girls Review, which I um, became a part of the cast in. Um, at the age of twenty one, I was in it from in the cast between two thousand six to. 2013. And that was the longest running drag review in Southern California that was run by Chad Michaels. And I mean, most, most, mostly all the people you've seen on Drag Race were a part of that cast. And then the third one was called Drag Idol. And this was in uh, Buttfuck San Bernardino, California, which is about 45 minutes away from LA. But all the superstars of Drag Race came from that show. And Raven, Mayhem, Morgan, Jasmine Masters, me, Derek Barry, several others. But, you know, the thing about the name of the owner and promoter, his name was DJ West. And he knew he had stars. He knew he had he had a hit hit on his hand. And he I think, you know, he knew that something was going to come out of all of us. We were destined to be. Even he said it to me once. He said, you're too big for my stage. And I think not only you said that to me, but to everybody else, but he was right. You know, he knew that we were destined to be these Mm -hmm. amazing superstars. 
And that was another thing that was different. There was no drag superstar. There was no celebrity drag queen. And I mean, nowadays, you know, we can't even take a shit and it's on fucking Reddit. I mean, <laughs> you know, change now. And, you know, but back then we definitely weren't valued as celebrities nor as, you know, pretty much entertainers. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And what about like actually when it came down to gigs and stuff, could you actually make a living as a drag queen back then? Like, was it possible to do or was it harder to do? Like, were there any queens that did that just full time altogether? This has been my full time job since I was 21 years old. So, yes, that's that is so, crazy. Um, well, the thing was back then, also, what was different is not everybody wanted to be a drag queen. Mm-hmm. You know, the fearless and talented, you know, quote unquote talented, um, oh, you know, did it. And there, w- there was a lot more shows back then. But also, I would say uh, it wasn't as saturated as it was today. There was no yeah. drag queens on every freaking corner on you know on grinder and it wasn't so saturated like how it is now there was there was you know people who did drag and there was actually the people who actually did drag for a living mm-hmm. so there was uh there was basically those two types of queens back then the ones that actually worked for worked, did it for a living and the ones who just you know did competitions so i was one of the lucky ones who actually had my own show that i worked every single weekend hosted produced i got to be with the dream girls review and um there really wasn't a lot of traveling back then, but out of state, but there was so many shows during the week in California. So I was doing all these shows all over Southern California in my 1997 Saturn, <laughs> you know, going from LA, Palm Springs, San Diego, Riverside, Ventura County. And then also back then it was, it was such an honor and just a, a really big deal if you were on television. Right? So. I was 20 years old and I was on Ricky Lake. I was on the last season of Ricky Lake as Madonna. You know, being on that show was such a huge deal. And mm-hmm. that did get you many bookings, um, many, you know, uh, m- much more auditions and much more film work. So, there, you know, back then, if you, would, if you were on a television show or even did film in drag, it was a big deal it was because big it, deal. Wasn't as, yeah, it wasn't as saturated as it is now. So... But yeah, that was uh, you, you did have the chance, but you did have to really work make, hard, you know, yeah. work a little harder to make an ape for yourself. Well, let me ask you, too, because back then and back before the whole drag race phenomenon, I've seen recently in the past probably five years that drag aesthetics have kind of changed into the way of strictly by RuPaul's drag race show standards. So if mm-hmm. somebody sees an aquaria or somebody sees, you know, any of these newer queens on, like a Trixie or something, they may think, hey, like, that's what drag is. I'm going to do that then. What was your inspiration before you had seen the television of drag? Like, where were you pulling that from? I was pulling it, well, what made me want to do drag was the movie Cabaret. And Sally Bowles' character of just, you know, you know, waking up with a hangover, being a slut by day, you know, showgirl at night, really hoping for that next big break, but, you know, still, you know, being stage ready by the time you got to go on stage. Like that was, you know, I just saw that movie and I was just so inspired of, you know, being, you know, being on stage and 
being a, you know, being different, you know, and in the movie, you know, she's very extravagant, she's very outspoken. So that was, you know, that was really what inspired me to be a, um, a stage entertainer. And then Madonna was just like, was just this person that I just related to emotional, emotional and artistically about just about, you know, standing up for, for, for yourself, being proud to be gay, pushing people's buttons and wearing comb bras and, and being flirtatious and sexual. So those are my inspirations. And uh, drag wise, I was very, I was actually very inspired by divine. Drag to me is, is rebellion. It's punk. And that's Madonna. Madonna's punk. So is, so is Divine. That's punk. I definitely watched a lot of Ru- RuPaul's old talk show when she kissed Dennis Rodman. She brought Diana Ross on all the time. I was watching that during the 90s. I couldn't say I connected with her the most. It's only because I didn't feel like I was that model glamour girl. I didn't want to be that. That wasn't something that I wanted to be. Well, you just said his name, so I do have to ask you. you the year ends up being, I guess it was... 2010 because the show aired in 2011 and you end up on RuPaul's Drag Race season three and I had talked to you know other queens from season one and two and I was chatting with you know Porkchop and stuff and she said that she was approached to be on the show did you audition or were you approached all the dream girls were approached at a show one night because RuPaul and World of Wonder used to go see um the dream girls were being in West Hollywood at Rage all the time and and we were approached. We all declined. Really? We all declined. And the reason we all declined, because like I said, and you brought this up too, drag was different back then. Mm-hmm. We didn't have drag celebrities. We didn't have a move, a, a really honest movie or television show really talking about who we are as artists, who we are as queer artists, and, you know, behind the scenes and everything. There wasn't, there wasn't that back then. And you know, the show, the show, the TV shows and the movies that we had been on mocked us. They mocked drag. It was considered a joke. And so, I mean, we all just thought um, Delta had just done a, a TV show on TLC where her and some other girls were made up and it was a big disaster. So th- that had just passed. And so they come up right after Delta just had this incident. So a lot, all of us kind of like thought it's just going to be the same thing, you know, or even not even aired. You know, we didn't think it was going to be this, you know, big, big pop, pop culture explosion. And um, also, you know, we, we, we were busy girls back then. We were, do- I was, you know, I was doing 10 to 11 to 12 shows back to back to back. And that was my, and I remember days when, you know, like the razor blade was just cutting my skin because it was just so much shaving. And, but yeah. We were approached back then and we all declined. So then what, what made the change? What made the change was uh, the show aired. It became a hit and we were all like all taken back by it. So was I. But I mean, me personally, I really think that World of Wonder and Rue were a little like um, upset with us, kind of held a little bit of a grudge against us because, you know, from what, you know, during that time, Chad Michaels had told me like, hey, you know, World of Wonder has said this and this about you. And they're kind of like, kind of like kicking, like <laughs> Venus needs us now. <laughs> so, you know, I don't, I think they were upset, you know, at me and other people who declined. But also, it wasn't just the Dreamgirls Review that declined. It was a lot of people that declined season one. Oh. 
Reviews. They are everything, whether it be a podcast review, food review, any time that you can read what another person's experience is, you kind of feel like, hey, you know what? Like, I understand where you're coming from. It can help you make some of the biggest decisions that you have to make in your life. And when it comes to finding healthcare, ratings matter even more. And that's where ZocDoc comes in. ZocDoc is an app where you can compare doctors by their ratings and read reviews from real patients. So you can find and book highly rated local doctors. It has been so eye-opening just to be able to see where I'm going to go before I actually go there. Because I normally have always dreaded going to the doctor before I ended up using ZocDoc. So just download the free ZocDoc app, the easiest way to find a great doctor and instantly book an appointment. With ZocDoc, you can search for local doctors who take your insurance, read verified patient reviews, and book an appointment in person or by video chat. You never have to wait on hold with a receptionist again because nobody likes the hold music. Whether you need a primary care physician, dentist, dermatologist, psychiatrist, eye doctor, or other specialist, ZocDoc has you covered. Go to ZocDoc.com exposed and download the ZocDoc app to sign up for free. Every month, millions of people use ZocDoc and I'm one of them. It's my go-to whenever I need to see a doctor. So now is your time to prioritize your health. Go to ZocDoc.com exposed. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C.com exposed and download the ZocDoc app to sign up for free and Book a top-rated doctor. Many are available as soon as today. That's zocdoc.com slash exposed. ZocDoc makes healthcare easy. I do want to ask you, what was your experience like on set? Because I know it was an earlier season. I know I've heard it from season four girls, Latrice and Chad and... Willem and everybody about how the production was so much different back then. What was your experience like? Well, I made it clear that I did not have the best experience there. Going back, rewind to what well, during the audition process. Mm-hmm. Now, I had um I had auditioned for season two. I didn't get it, and then season three comes around. They had you know told me to make another audition video. They said, "Take your time." I'm like, "Oh." Okay, well, let me get all creative with it. I made this video. It took me two, two weeks to make. They called me. They said I'm in the top 20, sit tight. And then um, a couple weeks go by. And they asked me one question, like, what's your dress size? Okay, click. Oh, okay. And then a month later passed by. What's your shoe size? Okay, click. Bye. So I'm like, okay, well, this is, I mean, it's March. Filming's July. So this is kind of like a meet. This is like interesting suspense right here what's going mm-hmm. on am i on am i not what's up and then you know they had scheduled they called me again they said i made it you know but we have to schedule a psychiatric evaluation and everything and also we need to schedule an interview with our producer so the the interview came around and i mean they asked me everything about you know my drag history my style um how did I start? And, um, you know, all the, all the basic stuff they wanted to know. And then, but, you know, I have this intuition that like, when I just feel like something's a little off, it tends to like, go boop, 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 boop. and so the producer asked me this question that just totally made it go off. She asked me, well, what are you afraid of? And my spidey sense just like was telling me, don't answer the question. So I'm kind of brushing her off. I'm like, you know, like saying, oh, I'm not afraid of anything. And 
I'm a pretty good, you know, competitor. I've got a tough skin, you know, total, total lies and bullshit. But I was just, you know, I wasn't comfortable with telling her what I was afraid of. Just was not at the time. And so she kept digging. She's like, well, what about spiders? What about roller coasters? And I'm like, damn, this bitch is going in. No, I just squash spiders. I ride roller coasters all day. You know, I got this. Come on, bring it on. I got this. And I could tell she was getting a little frustrated. So then she asked me, well, what if, what was it about season two that really pissed off the girls? And without a, you know, without a pause, they just said, well, that's easy. Bringing Shangela on the show. I mean, total, total tone changed. And she's like, oh, really? Well, why do you ever say that? And I, I was just answering her question because, you know, I'm brutally honest. And so I just said, well, you know, you brought a, you know, a, a drag, you know, beginner six months into it versus, you know, Chad Michaels, Lady Bunny, um, Sherry Vine, Jackie B. She's been done it for fucking centuries. And it did, you know, it did kind of like stir the pot and create, you know, piss off a lot of girls. So then I go, you know, I get onto the film set and let me tell you, I mean, the first two, well, the first, um, the first two days, basically I was starving. I was not, I was not even fed because they had told me that, Hey, you know, um, we're going to call you at a certain time to show up at LAX with all your shit. We'll meet you there. So I, this day I waited, I waited, I waited. And I'm being like Carrie Weitzman from the movie Carrie. I'm like, they're not going to call. They're not going to call. I, I'm just going back and forth. Finally, they did call. So I get, I get all my stuff and I rush to LAX and you know, I, I lived in the area. I lived in LA, so I didn't have to go through the whole like five bag rule and everything. So I literally bought a whole freaking van of shit. And they're looking at me like, holy fuck, like, I mean, this bitch brought a fucking fashion show. And then then some. So they, you know, they went through all my stuff and everything. And then by the time they were done, they checked me in. It was about midnight. I had not eaten all day. So and I was nervous and I couldn't sleep because I was nervous and hungry. So I was literally eating Alka-Seltzer because that was all in my bag to like fill my stomach up. The little uh, pamphlet that they gave me that said, you know, at this time we're gonna pick you up, this, there's gonna be lunch, you know, and we're gonna do this and this and this. So it, it said they were gonna pick me up at nine in the morning and there'll be breakfast ready at the set. So they called me at eight as I'm getting ready saying, we've moved your interview to three. So I get to, the, I, I wait, still eating the Alka-Seltzer and, cause they lock you in your room. And so then I, finally get picked up i go over there and there's a first thing i ask for is food and they're like oh we don't have any food i'm like well your pamphlet said that you guys had food they're like well we can get you a banana i'm like okay so they get me a banana they do this whole like you know four hour long interview and then they get into like background you know psychological stuff and um like you know like dark events that like haunt you stuff like that and then Still no food. And it was already like eight or nine o'clock and we were done. So we're going back to the hotel. And as I'm walking by, you know how people leave like their leftover food? Yeah. Outside in front that they didn't finish. So as we're walking to the to my hotel room, I'm with the PA and I grab a, a plate of toast. And the PA is like, what are you doing? And I just looked at them and said, I'm fucking starving. I'm taking this piece of toast. You guys promised me food. I have no food. You guys just can't starve me. I'm taking this fucking toast with me to eat it. Do you have a problem with it? And he's like, fine, I'll get you a pizza. Okay, I'm like, well, fine then. Yeah, total attitude and everything. So by the time, you know, I got on set, you know, definitely starving. 
in my, in, you know, in my emotions, bothered as fuck, get on the set. And all of a sudden there comes that fucking, you know, little present. And I'm thinking, oh, goody, Grace Jones, Barbara Streisand, Madonna. Yay. <laughs> and who the fuck pops out? Oh, fucking Hallelujah, Miss, Miss Dang herself. And then Rue announces, oh, she's recompeting. And I'm like, hold up. I'm already hot and bothered as it is. Mm-hmm. I smell bullshit. I call shenanigans. And I'm calling a stunt. So, you know, I mean, me being the brutally honest bitch, I'm like, let's get back on. I'm up with, I'm up with, I sent an audition tape. And I'm, I'm like, no, bitch, you, you can't lie for shit. Sorry. <laughs> you know, over it. So... It was very clear she had star treatment. Mm-hmm. You know, she was able to leave set during the costume construction, which none of us were able to do. And, um, you know, she literally spent two hours on her on her outfit and left set. And um, all of us were hanging in there to the last minute to get our to get our you know presentations ready and everything. And then, and then I get you know, then all of a sudden I'm in the bottom two mm-hmm. and. That's just when it all hit me. I'm like, I knew my spy, spidey sense was tingling there for a reason, you know. And sure enough, what I told them definitely was used as a storyline, you know. And make great TV. I look back at it now. I could not handle public humiliation like that. It did break me. It did tear me apart. So, you know, I wasn't prepared to handle something like that. It was not the best experience, unfortunately. No. And I mean, I, I like absolutely hate that. And like when I hear girls like talk about like the days of like, like that, like, you know, not getting food and things like that. It's just like so frustrating. Sure. It may it add a little bit of extra to TV, but it's still the treatment of an actual human being where it comes down to it. Was there any challenges or anything that, you know, even like looking at the show or like that you were prepared for that you were excited to showcase? I was definitely excited about the drag queens in space. And, you know, I don't I don't know. Maybe they got that idea from my little audition video because I had posted, I sent my audition video, then I posted it online very shortly after. And just a fun idea that I put in was a sci-fi trailer. And it was called Disco Bimbos from Outer Space. And then I heard there was going to be a sci-fi challenge. And so I made the sci-fi outfit. But then I heard it was actually for a sci-fi trailer. I'm like, God damn it. I would have done yeah. I would have knocked out part. So, you know, because I love, I mean, I grew up, I'm still such a, you know, fan of B-horror, B sci-fi movies. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I like more of the older generation than like the Asylum movies they make now with the really bad, like, yeah. uh, CGI effects and stuff. I mean, I, I'm the same way, too, because, like, I love good horror movies, but I feel like all the horror movies now are getting to, like, the so the um, ghost and the, like, anything can happen. And I'm like, to me, that's not a horror movie. Like, I want to know that this could really happen in real life, like, with some exaggerations. I have some fan questions for you that we are just going to throw in the mix as we're talking about your time on Drag Race. Somebody bum, said... Bum, bum. Oh, oh, here it comes. Somebody said, I heard that the fight between Mimi and Shangela and the Sugar Daddy story was started by you. Are you the one who planted that? Guilty as charged. Oh! How did that happen? Because uh, we 
we had finished filming season one and then we had to do the promos right after. So I'm being the greatest actress I possibly can be, even though I wanted to like, you know, set the place on fire like Carrie. Uh. And so, so we had to do the promos and then it was a couple of us and uh, we were filming the promos. And then all of a sudden Mimi found this like room and she like closed the door, she locked it. And she was just like, hey, you know, Venus, what the fuck is going on here? Why are you kicked off? And this doesn't make any sense. So they were like, why is Shangela getting this dark treatment, it seems? And I was like, I nonchalantly said, well, I don't know. Word on the street is that she has a sugar daddy. And I I had me, me and Shangela had a mutual friend um, who used to do her hair and makeup when she first arrived in L.A. And my friend was the one who told me this. And so I had mentioned it. I didn't think Mimi was going to take it to the camera. You know, it was seven months later, and I see the episode, I'm like, oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the only one who's noticed, you know, um, Shangela's value or spotlight on that show, but I've noticed that, you know, if anybody has anything, you know, in her way, they, you know, they do get pushed aside. So. <sighs> that that just sucks. And it, it sucks from, like, a perspective, too, of, like, if, you know, hypothetically, which is probably true, when you gave the information you didn't like Shangela, it makes a good TV of putting you guys both on the bottom two, giving you that moment. Let's talk about the lip sync and what was going through your head. Did you think in that moment that it was over for you? Yes. You did? I did. I did. And it just all of a sudden... It just, everything just became a blur and just like, I was just overwhelmed with emotion. And then, but also at the same time, I, you know, I try to, that's the only thing that I do regret that, that I do wish would have been shown on the show was the full lip sync because everybody knew that we weren't being serious. Go back to, and you watch the judges after we're done, they're laughing and clapping. They're not like appalled, like what the yeah. fuck just happened? They're actually knew that we were, you know, having a mock cat fight, I guess you can say. And, you know, me, Shantula got into it too. I mean, everybody, everybody that, you know, me pushing her is like that moment that, you know, gets talked about to this day. But, I mean, there was a point where I was in between Shantula's legs and, you know, she was going like this and jerking me and everything. And I would love for that to have been shown. And going back, I think what would have been fair is either both of us should have been kept on or kicked off. Another fan question that came in was, I would like to know if you feel like the Drag Race franchise treated you rudely in terms of editing, and how did you feel about the infamous sad elf moment from Santino Rice? As far as the edits, um, I got on the show with the advice of Morgan McMichael was to be a bitch on the show. And the thing is with me, I sometimes take direction or advice a little too too intensely. So <laughs> I do I do feel I did get the bitch edit, the bully edit, mm-hmm. um, which is definitely not the type of person I am. The thing with my my outfit was it was a theme for it. It was Christmas in July. So because a lot of drag queens do Christmas in July for um, for shows. So that's why it was very you know it wasn't too dragish. It was kind of very you know very summery and you know like you know hey hot girl you know hot girl on a hot date you know, Christmas in July, that was the theme. So I think that if it would have, that they would have kept like my idea for the theme in, I think it would have made more sense to everybody. I don't think I have the worst outfit, no. 
I'm sorry, but you know what? Freaking Derek Barry's Tin Man outfit, Tin Girl outfit. What the fuck? You know? Oh I mean, that, my god! My outfit looked like Versace compared to that. So I mean, I don't feel that bad about the outfit. I don't think it was the worst, and I don't think it was the best. I definitely would have liked for uh, them to kept kept the theme of it and the and the whole, or at least more of uh, the lip sync. Oh, and then what about your the Santino Rice pump? Girl, honey, I've seen you look I used to see him look way more tragic at the fucking discos we used to hang out with. Trash girl. I mean, she could talk all the shit she wants to talk about me, but I mean, I was there, we all hung out, girl. I mean, it just it didn't bother me because I'm like, girl, I girl, I've seen you fucking, you know, trash, you know, trash out of it at the fucking yeah. downtown lake. Goes, Don't go there with me, girl. You know, you so I mean, <laughs> is he still around? All I see is all of these posts on Twitter, but I'm like, are you okay? <laughs> are you Lucian Pianing me now? Like, I don't know. So, uh, is he prob- Is he finding himself? Is he finding God? Is he trying to find his so-called career? I don't know. Maybe. So. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you get off the show, and this is the third season. So I would love to know, like, watching yourself on the show, and then afterwards, like, what was it like um, working after the show? Now, here's the thing. Um, I'm going to take this in a couple of directions. I hope you're ready. You know, in my opinion, I see myself as the actual first one gone. Because... Porkchop got, you know, a stance with, you know, being the first one, you know, being the first one gone off the first season. So she definitely did get, you know, get a welcoming stance with everybody else. And then Shangela gets brought back on the show. Mm-hmm. And then I, you know, I get kicked off. And it just, it was at a time when, like, you know, nobody wanted to be kicked off of the show. And this was for, like, season three, season four, five, six. And it wasn't, like, it wasn't until... Season seven, when fucking a baby came out of Tempest de Jour's pussy, <laughs> all of a sudden, it like it flipped around for all of us, where all of a sudden we had this cult following, all this respect and like love came for the first one's gone. And then when there was a you know request for like we're the one to do a first one's gone mm-hmm. season, fan pages for us. There's a there's a freaking Reddit page with 35,000 members that has me on their header. And so it was different back then, I would say. It's diff- it was different as far as, like, respect-wise. Mm-hmm. So you definitely, if you were first one gone, you know, unless you had good management, you were not making anywhere near to what the girls and, like, let's say, fan favorites or top five or the winner was going, to, was going to be offered. You know, now it's different because, you know, now, and for me, a lot more different because uh, um, I'm a seasoned legend and it's just, it's taken a while, but... It's definitely different now. I was holding me telling what had happened to me on Drag Race because I was afraid, like, oh, what if they're going to sue me or, you know, tell lies about me or call me a liar? Like, it wasn't it wasn't a time to, like, speak up about it. But now that there's been, like, similar, like, you know, experiences with girls who've had bad experiences, now more people have, you know, talked about it. I finally, like, um, almost, um, well, four years ago, you know, told my story and, uh, you know, started to let go of what happened on the show. I'm glad that you were able to kind of like spill and tell and just like kind of get back into your own. I think that that is like the worst part about this entertainment industry is that like you feel like you're always stepping on like eggshells and you can't say something because it might affect you or you can't do this because that might be 
you know, side effect or whatever that's coming like that. So those years from, you know, season three to now, what would you say has been your career trajectory? Because you're no longer in California, right? No, I mean, I spent literally this last decade being the Elizabeth Taylor of drag queens, just husbands and scandals. So, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I mean, because after, you know, after Drag Race, you know, I didn't see any any want for them to like include me in projects like Drag You or spinoff projects. So, you know, I'm old school. It's like, hey, if one show doesn't work out, what do you go do? You go to another show and go try out for them. And that's what I did. And and uh, you know, I did I did some television. I did some very uh, I did some spots that were very like people were like, why are you doing this? Like, and even I was asking myself, why the fuck am I doing this? You know, but at that time, you know, I wanted to I wanted to keep working. So I went on botched and was the first drag race girl on botched. So I started that, you know, movement. Um, I was on Strange Addiction, and everybody saw Strange Addiction. And it actually, that's, I would say, of all television, that's shows that changed my career. Really? Yes. It did. It was, because um, actually, I was planning to quit drag as we were filming. And so uh, we filmed it, and then they kind of just, like, cut, you know, cut to a black screen, say I sold everything, and, like, all of a sudden... The next day, all the media calls and and asked me, like, well, are you really quitting? What's up? Please don't quit. You know, be on our television show. Fly here, fly there. We want you to do all these shows. So it was, you know, it was definitely a scandalous, you know, Elizabeth Taylor's Josh Gabor moment where I, like, you know, I got on television and said, like, I'm quitting drag and I'm on this special show. That's <laughs> as a reputation. So, you know, it was, uh, and then, I, you know, a year after the show aired, I got, all of a sudden it flipped, flipped on me again. I got all this fan mail and people said that they watched it and, you know, they definitely identified with me as far as like, you know, I was, in, you know, doing something uh, that wasn't hurting anybody mm-hmm. and, uh, and wasn't, you know, hurting myself, but it's hard. It's hard when you don't have supportive um, husbands or family mothers, you know, and so people did identify with it. And so I did receive a lot of, uh, fan mail and you know but that got me so much visibility by everybody and so that's the show that definitely changed everything for me i i love your trajectory and i love seeing like how far you've come and how mature you are too like you were represented one way on a tv show and then like completely like my mind has completely changed from where it was what season three to now like I'm so enjoying the whole conversation that I'm having with you because I'm like, my eyes are being opened as all this is like going on. Have you ever felt that after your time on the show, it painted you in a totally different light? Or did you ever experience any negative side effects from that? It did label me as the bully. It did label me as the Madonna. Uh, one one definitely was beneficial. One other one was not. The Madonna um, labeled it was what I wanted. I really wanted at the time. After that year, you know, it's, you don't know where your life's going to go. Yeah. And But me, I got, you know, I had the Madonna title. So she's a huge gay icon and pop culture icon. So it did help me to continue to keep working. Plus, you know, the other television shows. And I was labeled a bully. And I'm not a bully. I never have been. I, I was just bullied by somebody. 
He was just on All Stars, and I'm sure that's going to be a topic that everybody wants to hear about. So, oh, are you talking about Miss Jiggly Caliente? Yes. So let's get into it. It was the next question. So why not? Um, Sharon Needles put up an Instagram post where she congratulated Jiggly on being on All Star Six. You responded. <laughs> you responded with meh. And then it looked like it was a back and forth in the comments about new teeth and San Um, What is the full story behind all of this? Okay, here we go. Rewind back to 2013. Now, this was two years after Drag Race. I had suffered a lot of depression and I was around a lot of toxic people. And um, letting go of my drag, didn't care about it. You know, I got really, really heavy into drug use. And I, I had to step away. I had to move away to New York City to get away from the drug use. So I moved to New York City. And when you've been on a two-year drug, drug binge, you know, it takes a hot minute for your, your mind to get back to normal and your emotions to settle down and stop being so rattled up. So, you know, I was, you know, I was just doing all these things out of desperation at that time. But one of them was I actually did. I actually did do some escorting. I actually did do some sex work. Most of it I did in drag and not as Madonna. I would never sleep with anybody. <laughs> so I did, you know, I did make, you know, I did get myself involved with that in New York City at the time that I was staying there. And this is right when Bianca's season had just come out. She was still hosting her shows and viewing parties. So I had went back. I had went back to California. Uh, my film Strange Addiction. Strange Addiction comes out and uh, all of a sudden, you know, my whole year's booked up with shows and a tour. And so I, I had uh, my first uh, stop on the tour was at the Jim Henson studio. And I was in full Madonna beat. And um, I was with my manager. It was an amazing show. And so um, it was an early show, too. So we decided to go in West Hollywood. We just have some drinks. And uh, bear with me. I might get a little emotional telling the story because I've never told it to the public. We were at the Abbey having the time of our life, and I was, you know, feeling, you know, feeling my buzz. I walked past this HIV testing van, and I'm like, I'm like, hey, I'm buzzed as fuck. I'm like, let's go, let's go get tested. And there was a whole line in front of me, and they saw me, they got excited, so they excused me and let me go ahead of them. And so um, I went to the van, thinking nothing of it, and uh, and they told me I was positive. Wow. And I didn't know how to react. I knew I had all these people outside waiting. Wait, yeah. And I took a minute to um, gather myself and went out there and, you know, live, you know, I was, you know, used to putting on a show. <laughs> and so I just lied and I said um, that, you know, nothing fine. I'm holding my paper for dear life and nobody steals it from me. I told my manager, I need to, I need to go back to the car. And um, I told him what happened. We were both in shock, didn't believe it. He told me to go get retested, which I did. Um, I went retested, it still came out positive. And so they had given me all this information and phone numbers to, for, to reach out for um, the state health, which is what they do. And um, my blood results came in and I was, um, 
I was basically two white blood cells away from AIDS level. So you know, they immediately put me on medication. And, you know, it was, of course, my level, my level started going down and you know, it was starting to get better. But, um, and, you know, it really wasn't the status that, you know, I you really got deeply depressed about. I was fine with it. I, you know, I've been gay since I was 15 years old, so it always came up as a thought, like, you know, what mm -hmm. if this did happen? And, you know, I had, you know, I really prepared myself just in case it happened. But um, I was I was on tour. I was taking my medication and I was gaining weight and I didn't know why. And I started gaining a lot of weight and a lot of weight and a lot of weight. And after my tour, I come back home and all my costumes don't fit. All my costumes, I had spent thousands and thousands of thousands of dollars on. They just didn't fit one day. So I always knew, felt that there was something about my condition that was making me gain weight. There was something. Mm -hmm. kept asking the doctors about it. And they wouldn't give me a clear answer as to why I was gaining weight. I said, this isn't normal. Like, this is not just a little weight. This is, you know, 35, 40 pounds. Mm -hmm. just out of nowhere, you know, and. I mean, I've been, you know, oh, I've always ate late all my life, so I don't know what's going on. So um, I couldn't fit all my costumes, so I decided to join a Palm Springs show where I only had to do the same act every for three days out of the weekend, every single weekend. And it was relief because I couldn't fit everything. And I was like, I didn't know, even know if I could afford buying all that shit again. So during this time in my life, you know, I, you know, I was being fat shamed. I was called Fat Madonna. I was, you know, I was being harassed by my by the director and the producer of the show. Girls on tour would make fun of me. And finally, years later, I met up with um, Cynthia Lee Fontaine, and she works for HIV AIDS clinic. And she told me, and she asked, and I told her my story, and she said, "Well, what medication have you been taking?" And I told her, and she said, "Mommy, that has steroids in it." fuck so that was the weight gain that was the weight gain yes and you know i couldn't tell anybody what was going on with me or why i was gaining weight people just assumed like oh she's drinking too much again but i just i did um you know i stopped the drugs but then i just went to went to drinking because i was so depressed of the weight gain and you know everything i had worked so hard for and to gain a certain title all of a sudden just my costume just busted on me and i you know, I couldn't do what I loved to do and what I had known what was my life since I was 19 years old. And then right before the pandemic hit, they actually changed my medication to a newer medication that doesn't have steroids. And if y'all need receipts, here's receipts. They said I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be on steroids anymore. So that's why I got the lipo, because I just didn't want to be reminded of it every, every single day. And I wanted to move forward in my life. I say, you know, I say, yeah, it's been a lot of husbands. And I say love life because, um, you know, I had I had one husband who didn't want to sleep with me. You know, he would suggest for us to have threesome. So he would get off and, you know, make an excuse to, like, you know, um, not want to sleep with me because he'd think, like, oh, you know, both parties are satisfied this way. You know, you know, why do we have to, why why do we need to sleep with each other? You know, I, I had, you know, guys, you know, flip out of me, like I told them, and they got, I got naked next to them. You know, I had one husband who who even had it. And I thought, okay, well, this will make things easier. And it sure as hell didn't. 
And, you know, and then as after all that's passed, I just, I didn't need to, I didn't need the surgery. What I needed to do was just to um, really change how I felt about myself. I looked in the mirror and um, realized that that's just, you know, that's just not the only part of me. And I, you know, I, there's 179 contestants on this show and only two have come out with their status. So I guess that makes me the third lucky three. But I do, I do feel like there needs to be more role models to come out of the show and to talk about this. And I feel there's been way too much bullying come out of the show. I feel that there's been too much advocacy for bullying and saying it's all right. And there's been toxicity between the girls. And, you know, I did get my condition from my, from my escorting and my sex work and in New York City. So I had just been, di- I had just been diagnosed. Bianca was the winner and Jiggly shares with Bianca a, an old escorting ad of me as a guy. I had never did nothing with that ad. And uh, Bianca goes and posts it on Instagram, you know, calling me like, you know, trash, you know, look at this trash, you know, $600 for an alcohol. Thanks, Jiggly Caliente, for sharing this info with me. And so Bianca took it off. I've never gotten an apology from either one of them. I don't think I'm not expecting to get one. But, you know, I mean, Jiggly being a former sex worker, I think it was very... It was very low to to do that to a sister to put somebody's business out like that when you know from personal experience what it's like. You know that you know you know that a lot of the gay, gay LGBTQ community is involved in sex work and escorting. There's HIV involved in it. There's drug use involved in it. It's not you know it's not a pretty picture no matter how you paint it. Mm-hmm. So you know and um, I was put on blast and I wasn't in the best state in my life. Yeah. I just think that was a very low blow. And, you know, and I mean, I, on Sharon's page, I made a comment about a disinterested comment. It wasn't a read. It wasn't bullying. I just have no, I just, she doesn't interest me as a person. But because of what she did. And I don't think that, I don't think she's changed much since season four. You know, and here's the thing, like, I never did anything to Jiggly or Bianca. And so that, you know, I hung out with Bianca a couple of times while she was hosting her viewing parties. I hung out with Jiggly on a driver's cruise. We sat at the table together, made some jokes. So I don't know where all this like anger and jealousy and hatred comes from. I just want to say from the bottom of my heart that like, I'm glad that you have shared. I'm glad that you got this off your chest. I know that this is probably the most emotional thing for anybody to do. I love you. I respect you. And I thank you for saying it because at the end of the day, you saying this will help so many more people. We have such a stigma in our community about HIV and AIDS, and it's the most disgusting thing in the world. And people, like you said, people don't want to date or have sex or do whatever. And it will make you feel like a piece of shit. And it would make you feel like you aren't worthy. You are worthy. And I would love for you to take this moment after this to maybe just give a little insight and wisdom into like, you know, you equals you and like all of that, like is just like maybe just some basic little facts that 
the people who aren't educated maybe that they need to know because i think that education is the best way to help build the community right and you know with this long journey i bet other people that went through the same thing that i did that you know the medication made them gain weight they stopped performing because of it love issues and you know it's all about you know it's all about education you know there are, there is medication now out there that is actually free from the state that you know will will make you undetectable untransmittable to where you can't you know give it to somebody you um you can live a really normal life and still continue to be you and you know not let you know not let this be just a main part of you and you you deserve to be happy you don't deserve to be depressed and I am planning to do more activism on my part and awareness about it. It's something I've been wanting to do for a long, long, long time. And, but I just, I wasn't ready yet. I wasn't ready. And um, I just really, you know, also I realized, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, you're HIV positive and you're being with somebody who's HIV positive or not. It just matters if they're not, if they're an asshole or not, you exactly. know, if they're not educated, don't fucking deal with them. Yeah. And, you know, I definitely have a lot more insight that I would love to share. And also, you know, I'm actually in a relationship right now that's a lot more healthier and knows my status. He's actually here. <laughs> Want to meet him? Yeah, bring him over. Hello, how are you? I am good. How are you doing? Good, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. I, I will ask a question to you because I do want to know. Obviously, you know, Venus is saying one side of the thing of like, Basically, like other people can be so rude or like uneducated about things or treat somebody a certain way. You, on the other hand, from what I'm gathering, are not that way. What is the importance of making somebody else understand that they are okay? Like, what's the importance of being able to be like, you know what? I'm going to research and I'm going to educate myself because I love you for who you are as a person. So, one of the biggest things actually growing up, um, I have three female family members and, you know, growing up Catholic, Roman Catholic, they told us that only gay men could get it. I had three females who were heterosexual, who had it as well, who all three passed from, you know, and I learned about the medication because one of my family members was switching to a better one, which unfortunately didn't do the just do it justice at the time. But it's all about communication, research and respect, because, you know, that doesn't make Venus less of a person if you know she has it or it doesn't make me better of a person if I don't have it no love is love and at the end of the day we need to love and respect each other and we need to educate each other in this community because I have seen and heard especially right now in the music industry I'm uh, it's just one thing that's grinding my gears is like what does it matter you know status or no status it's not that shouldn't even be the first fucking thing yeah to know about somebody you should be wanting to know oh their personality oh or what do you like to do you know i grew up in uh the city of baltimore so you know i was around you know different types of people and you know my father growing up it was in the medical field and so I, I educated myself i got to see that in the 90s you know the church riots the you know the you know use a condom or don't have safe you know and you know it boils right down to be safe communicate with your partner be smart i don't know like when i meet people in our community who just radiate knowledge and radiate wanting to learn more and it can be the scariest thing you know to realize that i'm sure you probably shit yourself i'm sure you probably are like what in the world is going on 
But I will say that the years that it took you to realize this, I'm very glad that you realize that you are a worthy person. You have somebody by your side right now who, you know, loves you, respects you, and literally not everybody's going to do that. And you, what that says right there is that this man by your side is literally there for you. You know, there's no other reason, qualm or whatever. It's the soul, the spirit, the love that they that you guys have for each other. And that's very, very, very inspiring. And I'm glad that you have been able to, you know, have that in your life. You know, you've you've gone through ups and downs, as we discussed. You've had husbands and all this stuff. But finding that one must feel great. Of- um, so we have a couple things in common. I'll let him explain because he gets all excited <laughs> about it. So <laughs> I have jitters. <laughs> um, so I'm actually adopted from Tijuana, Mexico. I was adopted as a two-month-old baby. I was adopted too. We're both Mexican descent. I'm actually full-blooded. I don't know if you're half Italian, half Mexican. Yes. Yeah. Where I was being born at in Tijuana in the hospital, he was six years old at the time, and there's a picture of him right down the street from the hospital celebrating my sixth birthday. So that means we have the same birthday. We both loved Disney because he was wearing Mickey Mouse. <laughs> um, hear this. If we were born on the same year, we'd be 30-something minutes apart from each other. That is crazy. What is... Okay, wait, wait. So you guys are both the same sign then, right? Yeah, we're both Virgos, both rising Sagittarius. But we have our Virgo symbol on the same side of our bodies. On the body. same side of our bodies, yes. So, yeah. My my ex of 11 years, who got me in drag, was a Virgo. I had never been with a Virgo after that. I didn't think, like, I wanted to try the whole Zodiac wheel. And, and you know, I, I failed, failed, failed miserably. And just, like, I, you know, we met. And, you know, I was very intrigued that we had the same birthday. So I'm like, well, let's go, you know, let's go eat. Let's go talk. And so, um. You know, it's it's just and it's we've been together ever since. Virgos do have a very sexual side, and you know, mm-hmm. try to try to take advantage of me, um, in a good way. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, hey, on the first date, we have to like have dinner and have a talk, and, <laughs> and, and of course, then that's when we had the conversation, and I was like, okay, that doesn't bother me. Like, it's like, hey, okay, big deal. So, <laughs> so you actually brought it up on the first date? No, it was a second date. Second date. Second date. Yeah. yeah. So it was actually really fun because I think we went to the arcade. Yes, we went to the arcade and uh, then we talked about it and just, um, I mean, like I said, we have it. We've been together since then. We've been on a cross-country road trip because I had to move out of Mexico to Florida. So we, he helped me go get my stuff and come back over here. And, uh, you know, it's we've had so many adventures already. And, you know, the thing about me is I've had, you know, it's very hard to keep up with me. But I really feel he can keep up with me, at least. That's, I know. Absolutely, yeah, yes. absolutely. I just need a nap in between. <laughs> <laughs> That's me. My boyfriend is through the roof 900 times out of the day. I'm like, I just need a nap and then I can join you. Like, <laughs> Yeah, no, I will say definitely it's been an adventure for both of us. We've been almost going on five, going on five months now. Five months, yeah. If you were to ask me, I would say I would think that it's a lot longer. There's a lot of understanding and there's a lot of love in this. Like I, I sense, I feel, I feel it all. Everybody loves him. Like I might talk to my mom about him. She got to meet him. My dad got to meet him because, because, you know, we were on the cross country road trip. So we did actually meet my mom and I'm like, Hey, you know, this is Scotty and he's helping me with this. And they all love him. Everybody loves him. And my mother hated 
my other husbands, except one. So, but but no, you know, he's very very well loved, and uh, you know, everybody notices the energy that both of us have going on, and you know, that makes me happy. You know, because it's it's so you know, I've been through probably I mean I've been through husbands who are just like just boring as fuckers into their emotions or you know screwing strippers behind my back. I don't want you to leave because I have two more questions for Venus. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask the first one to you and the last one to Venus. I would like to know, what do you think the biggest misconception of Venus is? So the biggest misconception is that Venus is definitely one of the most loving performers ever. Has more to her than Madonna. Um, Sickening, sickening, painted boots house down like very much about the people very much like you give that good energy to her she's going to give it back to you very loving and that's the thing too is it's like you know oh you know they're like oh well such and such i'm like you can't base somebody's life off of one episode when she has done so much more mm-hmm. than that she's been doing drag for almost 20 years sweetie there's more than just rupaul drag race she's done she has done movies she has done uh, talk shows I mean, the last season of Ricky Lake, I mean, that's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. You don't, I don't know any other person. I've not met any other person that has done that. And that didn't say that they did that. And that to me right there is an amazing, is an amazing achievement for the books. I do wish that people would see that there is more to Venus than RuPaul's Drag Race and Madonna. Mm-hmm. Because Venus is fucking sickening at the end of the day. Yes. And I will stand by my man and I will stand by him strong. And I will say that's all the day I die. As you should, because Mr. Sexy Man, when all that makeup and everything came off, I mean, starting the interview, come on now. You get the best of both worlds. I fell in love with Adam. Yeah. That's another thing, too, is it's like people have the misconception of, oh, you know, I'm the boy that fell in love with the famous. No, I fell in love with Adam before I even knew that he was Venus to life and what he was really about. Y'all are making me like, uh, my, my butterflies in my stomach are just going crazy right now. Venus, my last question for you is, what is next for you? What's coming down the pipeline this year? Um, I know you just moved and like, what, what's, com- what's going down? I have been wanting to get the office not off my chest for a while because um, I just felt I couldn't progress until I had done it because I always had a you know i've always been attracted to to uh to outspoken divas like madonna and i've always been interested interested in activism and um that does tie into my life so i do want to be more of an advocate for hiv awareness prevention you know i don't know find you know depth come up with something clever for people to get tested you know because it really isn't a big deal what's it's it's worse to not know because you could be in my situation where you're two blood cells away from, you know, AIDS or, you know, what if your AIDS level, you don't even know it. You know, there's ways to prevent that from happening. There's so much help out there. There's so much love. There's so much guidance. It's, it's, a, it's not an easy journey. And, but I mean, your life does not end. So I definitely want to get more into activism. I, um, I did get a new body. Um, Scotty picked out this costume for me because he said he likes my booty in it. Yes! So. <laughs> booty, 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 booty. You know what? Before the pandemic, I wanted to stop performing. I was going, yeah, I was going to stop. I was going to put it away. The pandemic happens. And then 
we get that good old pandemic money. And I was like, you know, I got some money to get to finally get the lifeboat. You know, let me go get my ass over there. Because I knew after the pandemic, I was going to want to go back to work. So, and I just want to continue doing what I love to do. And that's performing. That's being on stage. And definitely, but definitely in a different mindset. And I would, you know, the future, I, you know, I definitely, I do want to keep performing. I do want to do more stuff on YouTube. Um, I, I do want to put myself out there to a more uh, virtual audience, to a more online audience, because I'm so used to live audience. And, you know, you, it's, it, it's, it's steady work and you get paid quite a bit of money, you know, but also, I mean, the future is online. Well, I, I can't wait to see your trajectory. I am so thankful that you popped on my show. I cannot wait to edit this and get this out to the world. I think you are truly a phenomenal human being. I thank you so much for opening up to me because I know that getting that off your chest and then now that that's in the world is a lot to do. And thank you for using this platform to be able to tell more about yourself. Where can people follow you on the socials? Socials. You can go to my Instagram account, which is Venus Delight Madonna. And you can also follow me on Facebook.com forward slash Venus Delight. Like I said, we need to get work on the online. Stuff, so. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely going to get a website going because that's been in the talk. So, um, yes. but for right now, keep it simple. The Instagram, the face, the Facebook, my Twitter got hacked. So I don't have Twitter no more. Oh. So, no. but, um, you know, definitely try those two to reach out to me. Thank you so much, Venus. Thank you so much, Scotty, for being here. I absolutely love this. Arrivederci, mi amores. Well, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Dragged Out with the beautiful Venus Delight. Such a great conversation. I cannot wait to be back with you guys next week for a totally new episode of Exposed Dragged Out. Uh, be sure to subscribe to the show. You can rate and review it on your favorite podcast app. Give it a little um, love. And be sure to send me an email at draggedoutpod at gmail.com. And I might read it on the show next week. Until next time, I'm Joseph Shepard. Thank you guys so much for listening. And tune in next week to find out who gets dragged out.